This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, new t-shirt featuring Terry Fox is getting some pretty high praise from one of Canada's biggest stars. Terry Fox's brother, Fred Fox, tells us more about the 43rd annual run registration, how you can celebrate Terry's achievement with hashtag Dear Terry. What would you say to Terry Fox if you could say it today? Ryan Reynolds is offering up an autographed t-shirt, and he's the one who really lit that one on fire. Pretty cool stuff. What are we going to do when we go to Mars, and what are we going to live in? Well, Greg Fish tells us how we could create space concrete. Mm-hmm. Starcrete, they're calling it, for extraterrestrial houses on the world of weird things. It takes a little bit of potatoes, some starch, and some mud, and, and that's what science people plan new neighborhoods on Mars with. Trust me, it's weird. Are you okay with the lotto, heists, and what about Baby Shark? All of that for you and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Ah, springtime. It's time to kick off new things. It's like the rebirth, right? The reborn. All the uh, all the cycle of life continues with a new generation of people ready to grow and expand, leave high school, create new lives, become adults. And there's us older guys, and we sort of have another summer to reflect on the things that we've had and the things we've succeeded on. And maybe we slow down a little bit, to quote Fred Fox, not running quite as much as probably should. Um, but we, we do get a chance to seriously reflect and inspire other people to maybe take some of that torch for us a little bit. Fred Fox is here. Um, Fred Fox is uh, with the Terry Fox Foundation, Terry's brother. It's great to see you again, Fred. Yeah, great to see you, Shane. Thank you. Um, busy time of year, exciting time. Also a, a time of reflection, 43rd annual Terry Fox run coming up. Hard to believe it's 43. That's a big number, Fred. Yeah, it is. And 43 years ago today, um, you know, Terry started the Marathon of Hope, uh, dipping his artificial foot in St. John's Harbor in Newfoundland. And uh, it is, it's always been a day of reflection of uh, what Terry started. In fact, you know, he journaled every day during his uh, Marathon of Hope. And the first words he wrote on April 12th were, today is the day. It all begins. Mm. You could never have imagined what those words would mean all these years later. Right. The impact that what he did, the research on so many lives. Yeah, I I, I think of Terry Fox when I I see uh, veterans and such, right, with artificial limbs and so much. And I think of Terry, and I think of when I was young because I was in McQuinnis School in Port Alberni, and I remember you know run skip run skip kind of step that he had. It's kind of a run, skip, skip, run, step. Um, and I think of that. And then I think of today. I think of, can you imagine, like, he was tenacious with that old technology from decades and decades ago. I Like, he, I say he'd probably be a pain in the ass for how hard he worked back then to if he actually had different technology that, that folks have today for their feet. Like, you would never have, you wouldn't have been able to stop the guy. Yeah, you know, we think about that all the time. Um, you know, when you watch the, the Paralympic Games and you see the runners on the track um, and what they're doing. And and Terry had an artificial leg that was designed for walking. People, just people with amputations just weren't were running with the, the technology that they had. Terry did. He was inspired by a fellow who ran the New York Marathon. 
to, to be able to do that. And uh, I was reading Terry's journal entries uh, from about two days ago in 1980. And he talked about already his artificial leg. He had two spare legs already. His artificial leg was uh, starting to cause some problems. The, the, the release valve that was in the leg was uh, eroding because of the sweat in his, from his stump. And uh, so, yeah, what he was going through, you know, not only running those miles, but all, dealing with the technology as well was a, a huge challenge. Um. It's it's so amazing. Do you you mentioned that when we've chatted before, Fred? Is that an annual thing? Your bit of a reset to kick off every year that you go back through some of those diary entries from so long ago. How often do you do that? Um, I you know whenever I need a kick in the rear end, I, I yeah. look at them often, like yeah. often. And so it's, it's not just, like a scheduled thing where you're like, oh, April first, time to read the diary. No, it's not like not that. at all. No, I do. I'll do that often. Go back and read a few days, and I know the days that Terry is really puts you know may, some many of the quotes that we use today to promote the terry fox run come from terry's journal entries mm -hmm. and uh so but this time of year when i'm traveling and i'm speaking at school so if i happen to be in a school or uh, speaking at a rotary club or something like that i'll i'll pick the day from terry's journal to read to start the meeting or start hmm. the presentation and oh wow really? it, it does it does me uh, like it helps me a lot but it, it's amazing to be able to say this these are terry's words 43 years later 35 years later whatever it was yeah and he um uh still relevant i guess hey? he's kind of like bob marley that way it, it didn't really matter what he said back in the day when you look at it from today's lens boy oh boy uh, did people like that ever nail it yeah, and you know that's what Terry said in one of his journal entries. You know, after a hard day, day fifteen in the of the Marathon of Hope in Newfoundland, he had a bad day, like we all do. He wasn't feeling very well. He thought that maybe this was the end of the run because he was having dizzy spells and all of that. And in the end, what he wrote in his journal entry that day was, "I want to set an example that will never be forgotten." And hmm. um, well, that he did again. I, again, yeah, it's like the words that we we remember all these years later. Um, the Terry Fox Foundation and the Terry Fox Run happens again. Of course, it's been a little bit different over the last bunch of years. This year really is the confident year because a year ago, I think we chatted last. It's been a bit, um, you know, it still wasn't as confident as it is this year that things are going ahead. That must feel good for all of the hardworking team members inside the foundation that um, work so hard to put all this together. Are you seeing a different sort of shine come from the team? Yeah, you bet. Um, we had some in-person runs across Canada last year in September, and and I had a chance to travel a little bit last fall before the event in September, but. Uh, uh, and you saw the excitement then, but this year it's really building through this T-shirt campaign, campaign, the Dear Terry campaign, and uh, the whole staff here across the country is excited. But more importantly, our, our supporters, our volunteers, those that give so many t hours of their time to organize the Terry Fox Run, some doing it for 20, 30 years, um, are excited about the opportunity of seeing people that they would see every year on the same day, every year they, they're going to get a chance to see them again as, as they uh, continue what Terry started. Now, since its inception, Terry Fox Foundation has raised more than $850 million, funded 1,300 innovative cancer research projects. Like this is not, by the way, this fun little fun run, although the spirit of it is that way. Um, it's like it's you guys have crushed it. And um, 
not only that though, with the help of a new partner and uh, his profile, you guys have this new t-shirt. It's the Dear Terry t-shirt. We'll explain the message part in a second though. Fred, um, t- tell me about the t-shirt because um, with the help of your help of your little angel there, he's uh, you guys have really put this thing over the top. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. And like any ordinary Canadian kid who has done the Terry Fox run for the past 42 years in their schools, uh, Ryan recalls... Uh, doing the Terry Fox run at, in grade two and has always been inspired by Terry. And um, he did, did some posts last year uh, in September around the Terry Fox run and we've connected with him and he's been amazing. He's been so helpful, uh, a proud Canadian, um, inspired by Terry. And uh, we collaborated, our family and, and Ryan, uh, we collaborated on this year's t-shirt design and the whole campaign around Dear Terry and related to all of the letters that Terry received uh, in 1980. Uh, T-shirts are available? They are. Go to our website, terryfox.org. And uh, when you register on April 12th, you can buy a T-shirt there as well. And uh, yeah. Can we, uh, are you allowed to say the number of how many t-shirts have gone so far publicly? The, um, I, cause it's a staggering number. And I think that that, that number, um, this is beforehand, how many people have purchased because of the inspiration that comes from Ryan and everyone else inside the Terry Fox foundation. It's a big number. I think people need to know that. Yeah. It's, 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 it's amazing. And again, how people around the world have responded, even those that of course probably didn't know who Terry Fox was, but because mm-hmm. of Ryan ran, uh, Reynolds, they now know who Terry Terry is and uh, 28,000 t-shirts sold since the 28, end of 28,000. 28,000. Wow. So um, since uh, the end of February and a uh, million dollars raised for cancer research because of those sales. And it's an, an amazing number. And uh, it's important for people to know that the money that you, when you buy a t-shirt, it's going to cancer research. Do you uh, have that moment where you put both hands on your head and you're like, and the orders are coming in, you're like, Oh boy, we're, we're going to need a bigger bus. <laughs> uh, well, I, I've, I experienced that last last couple of weeks being in the office in, in, at Simon Fraser University where our office is and packing T-shirt orders for people from Vancouver to, to Manitoba border. So it's been pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Um, dear Terry, now this is interesting. Now you can contribute and share your Dear Terry messages. Um, there's all kinds of different ways to do that. The hashtag Dear Terry is sort of the goal. So give us the nuts and bolts of how people can share those messages and get that out there because these are inspired by the old letters from so long ago, but refreshing, if you will, with new letters from today and everyone's contribution. Yeah, you know, in 1980, September 1st, uh, again, Canadians uh, wrote Terry's letters when he was forced to stop the Marathon of Hope, sharing their love and support and uh, well wishes of getting healthy again. Um, 50,000 letters and cards were received at that time. My mom and dad uh, received them all at their home. And so now people have the same opportunity to uh, write their own Dear Terry letter. Uh, to Terry and 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 uh, they'll have the opportunity to uh, for us to use their letters and social media posts in promoting the Terry Fox run but also uh, if they do that they'll go into a draw for, for a signed uh, uh, Terry Fox run dear Terry long sleeve t-shirt uh, signed by Ryan Reynolds so oh, uh, cool. yeah it's uh it's exciting and you know those messages 
Uh, I was on a call on the weekend with uh, volunteers from across Canada, and we had somebody who organizes a Terry Fox run in Ontario who wrote Terry a letter in 1980. She was 13 years old, mm. and um, we we found that letter. We were able to present it to her on on the virtual call that we had. Oh no way! Amazing. Yeah, holy full circle. Um, hashtag dear Terry is the is the the hashtag to, to trend it and to find it and see what other people are writing, which is a really great way to go about it. Now, Fred, you know me well enough to know that I always have the, the, the real connection thing going on. And so I, I know that for you, it changes day to day, uh, depending on where you're at, whether you're um, having a Fred day or where you're having a Fred supports the Terry Fox foundation day. Um, he's your brother. I know that you carry him very close. You've shared stories about your folks and the things that you guys put your folks through uh, with us here on the shift. And um, what, today, what's your what would your dear Terry message be today? Hmm. I was asked to write uh, a couple of dear Terry messages today, and as part of the campaign, and it's and this is the one that I was really feeling that I'm going to share with you, but I did I didn't write, and it's. Uh, it's Terry, dear Terry, we miss you every day. Mm. And, um, that's, and, and we do. And, uh, you know, as a family member, um, um, you know, I would write to Terry, you and, you know, dear Terry, you know, we miss you every day and, but we're working so hard to, to keep your dream alive. You are working hard. It's evident by the way, it's contagious. Um, the work that you put in behind it and you do it with such, um, there's a there's a peace and gratitude and love and like this incredible power fred that you put behind it when you talk about it i just want to acknowledge that um dear terry for me initially came up as thank you for inspiring my kids because uh when the kids went through it again i thought how cool is this right generations it's not being lost but i feel like that's a bit of a sidestep for me because it's I'm making it about my kids not about me and i the, the Dear Terry message for me today would be, thank you for uh, staying with me because it brings me back to so long ago, but at the same time still inspires me today. You can't see this on the radio. It fails us a little bit, but over Fred's shoulder is one of the many uh, pictures uh, that's on the wall. And it's that silhouette where this, most people will be familiar with the photo where a police car behind, the headlights are on. It's just... Uh, Terry Fox's silhouette as he runs and you can clearly see his leg. And, um, but that image for me, like that's, that's stayed with me. I come back to that again and again. And, um, I find it incredibly grounding. Dear Terry, thank you for keeping me grounded. That's what it would be for yeah. me. That's yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're inspiring too, Fred. Um, not to be lost in all this. Okay, people should not only sit here like we are and talk about it and share your heart about it. That's important. People should actually go be a part of the run. If you can't run, cheer on the run, volunteer for the run. Why should everyone get in on uh, the Terry Fox run coming up on September 17th? Well, just like Terry said 43 years ago, um, you know, we're, we'll all be touched by cancer. We've all been touched by cancer in one way or another, may not be personally, but a friend, a family member, neighbor down the street. And um, we still got have lots of work to do. And uh, uh, that's why it's important to be involved, whether you register for the Terry Fox run, buy a, a Dear Terry t-shirt or part or volunteer or whatever you do. You're, Terry would say you're a part of the Marathon of Hope and he would be so grateful of that. 
28,000 t-shirts. So get in on it. Um, any socials website again, if you don't mind, Fred, that you want people to go to so they can check out the t-shirt and go register. Yeah. Um, again, you know, terryfox.org is the web website, uh, you know, uh, hashtag, uh, you know, dear Terry, um, on all of our social media platforms and, uh, yeah, we so so appreciative of, of the support over the years. This doesn't happen every year without uh, so many Canadians, so many people around the world who have been inspired by Terry and um, uh, want to continue his dream. And thank you to Ryan Reynolds for taking it mm-hmm. and running with it, if you can excuse it, the pun. It's great. Well done. Um, Fred, great to see your face, man. Um, I, when this opportunity comes up, I get excited. I always look forward to these moments because I always appreciate the honest connection with you. Uh, it's very authentic and I, I do enjoy um, being around you. So thank you for giving me that today. And thanks for sharing this. Um, safe travels on your tour. Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird, weird things, things with Greg Fish. You know, um, when I type in Greg Fish to put you into the Facebook group to tag you in your article, by the way, it always gives me Fisher Price. Really? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It was that thing. Anyway, um, thanks for being here. Welcome back. Good to see your face. I guess uh, you were probably here last week. I was not, but um, I'm glad you're here. And um, things are about to get weird because your article uh, looks like something out of a How It's Made TV show. And those automated 3D printing buildings that they're making these days. I want to start this conversation with the headline of Starcrete or how to live on other planets with simple cooking ingredients, can we just acknowledge the fact that here on Earth, we've made it socially reprehensible to talk about imperialism, colonialism, as overflowing and stealing other people's lands, as this absolute faux pas of our history, and yet we're dumping billions and billions of dollars into doing the exact same thing on a different planet? I mean, can we be more hypocritical than we are being right now? I mean, technically speaking, as far as we know, no one lives on the moon and no one lives on Mars. So that kind of does give us a little bit of leeway. I feel like it's okay if there's nothing native there that is actually like sentient or sapient. Technically speaking, when they jumped in their boats, the Vikings, and rowed their way across the Atlantic, they didn't know anything was going to be there either. I mean, we know a little bit more than the Vikings. We we know we know for sure. We've sent robots there. They said, we really? eh, "Sorry, there's nothing." I don't know. I don't think we do. We just don't learn from it anyway. Greg Fish here. Okay, are we building 3D printed space pods, places, things? Kind of, sort of. We might start with those, but let's let's talk for a second about what is it that it actually that we actually mean when we say we're going to live on another planet now. One way that you could do that is you could have a ton of rocket launches and you could drop a whole bunch of pods or inflatable habitats on the surface of the moon or on the surface of Mars or on the surface of another world and then just start assembling them into something bigger. Um, 
just launch by launch by launch. The problem is that gets very expensive and those habitats need to be built in a way that you can basically snap them together very quickly, decontaminate them, pressurize them. And the more you snap them together, the more potential fault lines there are, the more there's a chance that something is going to go wrong, that something's going to break loose. It just it, It's just simple mechanics and engineering. The more connection points you have, the more chances that something's gonna break or something's gonna go wrong. So the thought is what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to learn how to live off the land. And the way, the best way to live, to learn to live off the land is that if we essentially use the soil of the world that we're on as our construction material. So instead of, hey, let's land a whole bunch of pods on the moon and then cover them with lunar regolith to protect against radiation, let's actually use the lunar regolith to 3D print our habitat and then once we have that, and once we have that, we can fill the inside with something that is inflatable or something that has our modern technology inside, something that we can actually live in. So that is where Star uh, Starcrete comes in, and Starcrete is uh, an experiment in whether we can actually use lunar regolith or Martian regolith to make concrete on other planets, or or rather in to be more accurate, other worlds. So to do that, you essentially just take the regolith and you mix it with some potato starch and then you add some salt to fully dehydrate and set it and you actually get something that is much stronger than the concrete we use on Earth and yeah. more than acceptable to use on another world because if you, when you make it with lunar regolith, you get something that could withstand that's something that is um, more than twice as strong as concrete on Earth. Um, oh, sorry. No, if you do Martian regolith, you get something that's more than more than twice as strong as the concrete we use on Earth. And if you hmm. use lunar regolith, you have something that could survive essentially being plunged in the Marianas Trench before crumbling. So, um, yeah, very strong material, very sturdy and demonstrates the fact that we could, with fairly simple ingredients, mix a whole bunch of alien concrete and 3D print habitats using that. Mud, really. So you're talking about, right? Dirt? Kind of, yeah. We're just we're just turning mud into concrete and solidifying it and building everything inside of the shells that we can 3D print. I feel like this is a bit of a letdown fish. I mean, if we're going to fly all that way, and you're going to be, you know, you got to go, you know, gravity's a bitch, man. You got to go all the way to the moon. Then you got to probably have a little nap, refuel, and then you're going to launch, and you've got God knows how many weeks to get to Mars. And you get to Mars, like, you want Star Trek level hologram decks, holodeck stuff happening. Like, you don't want to go all that way for a mud hut. Yeah, no, I get it. You want the shiny atom I punk do. dome. You have all these slick spires and buildings inside of it. But the problem is the universe really doesn't give a damn about what you want and what looks good in the art and what looks good in sci-fi. The the reality of it is that when humans live on other on other worlds, the construction is going to look like giant termite mounts. Yeah. That's what it's going to look like. Now That's they're going to be different shapes. There's going to be there's going to be different patterns. 
It's going to be to maximize the farming. It's going to be used to maximize water collection, resource collection, et cetera, et cetera. But it's basically going to be giant termite mounds. That's what humanity is going to live in. Can't and wait. I'm sorry this is a letdown, but this is <laughs> but this is the world of weird things, not the world of things we wish that were. Uh, maybe we wish that they were. Um, here, here's a text for you. Hey, shift show of the moon, etc. The ISS is scheduled to be decommissioned soon. Could it handle the structural stress and safety be landed on the moon? We just use it there. This could quickly advance human race exploration by a few steps. Just a thought. So here's the thing. This has been considered and ruled out as way too complicated, way too difficult, and way too expensive because there's a company in Las Vegas called Bigelow Airspace that has inflatable space stations that are much roomier than the International Space Station. You can pack it into a Falcon Heavy, launch that to the moon, and deploy it there, and it's going to be cheaper, more efficient, and larger. So Again, that actually if I'm going all the way to Mars, I don't want to be in a dinghy. Yeah. Well, if you don't want to be in a dinghy, there's ways around that. You can build much larger spaceships that have that rotate to generate gravity. So that's going to be a plus. Plus, also, you don't have to go too far because, as we discussed before, there's some work on essentially using nuclear reactors to power ion engines so you can get to Mars a lot faster. So, yeah, there's, there's a way to do it in, in relative luxury. It just takes a lot of money. And we mm. definitely want to do that because we want to give people creature comforts if we're going to set them to another world. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is we can't, like, send an entire city with them. We just don't have that capability. We don't have that technology. And there's a serious question of is that even going to ever be feasible or possible because of how we have to launch things. Like, we have to put out a ton of power, very concentrated power, to launch things off the Earth into space and send them towards other world. Uh, other worlds and even the, with the cheapest rocket it could take far more money and far more resources than just saying hey you know what land there you have potato starch great you have salt great get some of that really really dry martian dust start mixing it with those ingredients and just put up a mound that's that's all you gotta that's all you gotta do this is uh like it's quite amazing when you think about it. Nighthawk Steve asks if we can use that stuff to fix our highways. You know, he drives a truck, so that only seems appropriate. Um, maybe we just return the dust back here. You know, that is, we can actually make that regolith here by essentially using volcanic soil. Because So I keep using the term regolith, and the regolith is actually a fairly specific thing. It's, it's like this very dry volcanic-type soil that you find on worlds where you don't have moisture on the surface. So technically, we could do something like that here, but the question is, how will it handle moisture? Because that's not something that has been tested with Starcree because the idea is we're gonna use it on worlds where there's not moisture on the surface. So there's the question of is if moisture is going to get in there, is it going to break apart that Starcree faster? I can't believe people get paid to do this stuff. Um, okay. I can't either, but this is, but, but that's fantastic. <laughs> Food. That is fantastic. Food is part of this conversation too. And, um, short of Matt Damon growing potato in his, in his poop, what are we talking about? So in terms of food, 
Yeah, like food. Like, I mean, you got to live there. You got to make food. You're talking about potato starches and all these things. Does that yeah. not include food? Like, are we going to, like, take some of these cooking ingredients and actually cook? Well, the idea is that the cooking ingredients are going to come from stuff that we're going to grow. And what are we going to grow? We're going to grow potatoes. We're going to grow corn. We are going to grow leafy greens. And uh, meat's going to be a bit of a challenge. Meat, we're probably going to have to use something that is made in a lab because farming on Mars oh, is going to be real difficult. Dino meatballs. That'll be fun. Um, okay, fair enough. I think it's reckless use of we, though. You keep saying we. I'm not going with you. Well, I mean, you don't have to. That's that's fine. But yeah, I, I just I just want to make it a little bit more inspiring. Like, you know, we as humans could do this and not necessarily, you know, astronauts in the far future or, or something of that nature. I, I you know, there's it's uh, that's the reason why I keep saying we. I mean humans. Right. You're like, like my ex wife when she used to say, like, hey, we should build a fence. And by we she meant you. That's okay. That's yes. That's that's fair. I I do mean highly skilled professionals. I don't mean literally everybody. But uh, but you know, again, this is one of those uh, this is one of those things where we can we can start asking like, well, why would anyone want to do this? You know, everything's here. Everything's on Earth. Why why do we want to go to space? And right. a big part of that is because we want to. Uh, and because it presents a lot of challenges that we can use to create new technologies that can be very useful on Earth. There's a ton of materials that we have simply because we have the space program. The computers that we're using now for this show, for our daily lives, they were accelerated by the space program because they needed to have all these integrated circuits that could run very, very quickly in a very, very small space. Mm -hmm. um, and when that played out in Apollo, the manufacturers went back went back to the ideas of like, you know, the, the early personal computers and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can put this integrated circuitry into these personal computers and make them run much more efficiently. We can go down from these giant mainframes to these small computers. You can literally plop on a desk and use it work. And we can mm. connect them to this thing that we're, we're working on called the internet. And then we can put a and then you, you had a scientist at CERN who's saying, well, we have all these documents. How do we organize all these documents in a way that we can share them between all these different networks of people? And and we have this internet system, but how do we make it user-friendly and develops the World Wide Web that we know today with browsers and hypertext and all of that. So you see all of these experiments, all of these little things that we're doing add up to essentially create the modern world. So if we don't give ourselves these engineering challenges, if we don't um, give ourselves these these you know things like oh we're gonna we're gonna literally reach for the moon we're going to go to Mars we're gonna send robots to the edge of the solar system um, what is our incentive to create some of these technologies because then what happens is you you're dealing in the corporate world you're dealing with people who say well I need a product in three to five years because I only have this much money to invest to get this to get this particular result and if it doesn't give me this much growth if it doesn't give me this much of a return i'm gonna fire all of you because again that's what the shareholders demand and that's understandable you know uh but at the same time if you don't have these blue sky projects if you don't nurture these ideas you're never going to find those those kinds of interesting things and we can go everything from you know i i just talked about integrated circuitry discovered in the internet but you know even things like yoga pants and uh, uh and, and uh <clears throat> smart locks 
and cars a lot of these uh, like a lot of these things come from these scientific challenges it, it, lasers was is a thing that we use today for everything and it was just an accidental discovery as well so this is this is this is one of those things where yes we're experimenting with all the stuff and the question is well what's the use for it and the use for it is to do it to solve it to figure out what kind of new cool stuff that we can do and then we can turn all this cool new stuff into things that are in our home on our roads in our buildings mm -hmm. making life better sharks with lasers can you do that? Yeah. Can we make these smart people undo the internet? That's a question. Can we make all these smart people there like, hey, let's take all these computers and let's take all of this information. Let's put it out there and make it absolutely editable by anybody. Can they go undo this now? Because that's, that's a conversation we should be having. So unfortunately, they can't undo that. Um, at, at this point, it's, it's hard to undo all of that. And the internet itself is very useful. It's social media that we should probably think about undoing or mm -hmm. redoing in a completely different way. Um, so that that's that's its, that's its own that's its own issue. This is this is a question of why why are people horrible online a lot of times? Mm -hmm. Can I get Wi-Fi on the moon? These are the messages that are coming in. Can you get the internet on the moon? So fun fact, yes, kind of, sorta. Oh boy, there is a system that's used by NASA called the Deep Space Network. And you can technically connect to it if you are flying to another world. Really? The upload speeds and download speeds suck. Let's just be let's just be honest about that. But technically it is internet. You can't play Netflix in streaming in 4K, but you can download pictures, you can download texts. You know, really? you can you can do some basic things on the internet. That sounds cool. All right. Fine. We'll go to space together. That's what you want. We can hang out and do this. Um, okay. So is this legit? I mean, these are cool ideas. These are things that people are talking about. Like, hey, this is how we can do that. That's how we can do that. That's how we overcome this. That's how we overcome that. Is it at all really legitimate though, Fishy? Like, is it really, are we going to see it in our lifetime? We can the only thing that's missing is political will. For a lot of the projects that we're talking about right now, we have the technology, we have really good ideas, we can actually work on this. It really just comes down to political will. And this is one of those, and, and this is going to sound a little bit utopian, but I do think that we need to think about things like that nowadays. Uh, I keep talking about how a lot of people need to find a sense of purpose. And this, this exploring this new frontier, these all these new engineering challenges to kind of push our civilization forward is a great use of that, all of that pent up energy, all of that, a, a way to address all of that pent up boredom. And this kind of puts it a little bit more in perspective. You know, do we want to work together as a civilization to progress, to advance, to expand, to do new things, to create new things, to create, to literally populate new worlds? Or do we want to stay small and petty and fight each other over every single little perceived slight? Sure, but we're going to go fight over that over there as soon as we get there anyway. Well, yeah, but at least we're going to do it over there, which is way cooler because we're going to have lasers <laughs> and we're going to have rail guns and we're going to have rockets. Oh so petty conflicts are going to be awesome. But sharks with freaking lasers. 
You can put a sh- you can put a laser on a shark nowadays anytime you want. You just gotta catch the shark. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, London says that uh, London would go to Mars with you. By the way, so you're not alone. There you go. Well, Greg Fish, uh, if that wasn't weird enough for you, don't know what is. Join us next week. We'll find out again. If you go to shiftheads.ca, the article is there for you. You can peruse all of it. Starcrete or how to live on other planets with simple cooking ingredients. It's not a recipe book, unlike I thought. Um, go there. I mean, if the buildings look like those little pods that are in your picture, then that's cool. I like that. Yep, that's exactly what they look like. Hmm. All right, Greg Fish, worldofweirdthings.com. It's a blog, it's a podcast, it's all those things. Check it out. Thanks for being here, Fishy. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with your thoughts on some of these stories? Some are funny, some are stupid, some are scary, some are sad. 877-399-9898. Your calls, your texts. Welcome to Contribute. Are you okay with the lotto? And the lotto? lotto. And, and, uh, yeah, I've got a scratch ticket that uh, has five bucks on it, which Ooh. is coincidentally the price of another scratch ticket. I seem nice. to get a lot of $5 ones uh, or something. none. But, uh, you know, I yeah, it's fun. I've never, I think I've bought one like 649 or like an actual number lotto i usually just do the scratch tickets um but no i don't know it's never really been something that i've just done often because i feel like i just you know it's 20 bucks that i would put somewhere else you know mm-hmm. 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 I, I i i i don't know you're never gonna win if you don't play y- yes Yes, that is that is correct, but you know, it's just the chances are so slim. And like I say this, I'm like, oh, but so I get it. I think it's fine to play every now and then, but um, I don't know, just kind of never really, never really jumped on it. Yeah, yeah. I I don't buy them very often, but I do get tempted yeah. when I see it's like fifty six million dollars. I mean, yeah. It's- yeah. Text comes in and says lotteries can be fun, but you can't count on it as an income source. Yeah. Well, if that was the case, it's the worst paying job ever. Okay. <laughs> now, it's just chance. It's a gamble. It's numbers, right? Every now and then, it seems like the universe lends a hand to someone who really needs it, which is always nice when you hear a good, warm, fuzzy lotto story. One lucky woman scored a big win in Florida. Holy moly, this isn't a stupid Florida story. It's a happy Florida story. What does it mean to be from Florida? Florida, straight drip. <laughs> All right, things are uh, really looking up for Geraldine Gimblet, mother from Florida, who claimed the U.S. $2 million top prize on Scratch Lotto. According to a Friday press release, Gimblet was already celebrating a major family milestone when she bought that ticket. And we're going to hit the applause button here for Geraldine Gimblet, seen here with a cool $2 million, but there's a lot more. Uh, to this lottery winning story. Geraldine uh, picked up her ticket at the Pipkin Road Beverage Castle in Lakeland. It was the last crossword puzzle game that they had in the actual store. But it gets even better. Not only did she win $2 million, but the day before, her daughter beat cancer and they rang the bell for beating cancer. 
Gimblet had taken out her life savings to take care of her when she was sick. And hmm. That's amazing. WFLA, That's so by the cool. way. Yeah, Gimblet shared that she almost walked out of the store that day without a ticket. At, f uh, at first, the gas station clerk thought there were no tickets left, but I asked him to double check because I like the crossword games the best, Gimblet told the Florida Lottery. He found the last one. The Florida Lottery said it's made more than 3,500 millionaires since the lottery began in 88. It's paid out more than $85.8 billion in prizes. Pretty cool stuff. Such a... It's like a it's little like sprinkle a, of the good news. Good Ian, news are you okay? Tuesday morning. With Florida. Like, wow. that doesn't happen very the often. The trifecta I'm, of good news. It is. The Trinity. Heck yeah. Are you okay with... Baby Shark. Okay, well, yeah, how about that for, um, good morning. Stick that in your head. Welcome to Wednesday. So I'm sorry. I'm not really, but sorry. Uh, anyway, it's the most watched YouTube video in history, by the way, that one. That is just bizarre to think about. I mean, it's not exactly surprising. It's a, it's a good kid song. There's nothing inherently wrong with it the only thing wrong with it is how easy it is to share that and get it stuck in your head that's mm. the problem doesn't matter if you're four years old that song will get stuck in your head if you're 40 you know like mm -hmm. probably half the people listening to it right now listening to the song unless of course you watch ted lasso why why ted lasso because jamie tart that's his theme song when he scores in all the pubs. Jamie Tart, do, 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 oh Jamie Tart. Uh, <laughs> I like that. That's wholesome. Uh, this, by the way, is uh, the song is at the center of a pretty shocking lawsuit in Oklahoma, though. Oh. Two former Oklahoma County jail guards have been sentenced for punishing inmates by listening to the children's song, Baby Shark. Both pleaded no contest to misdemeanor cruelty charges for the 2019 incident of forcing inmates at the Oklahoma County Jail to stand while handcuffed, making them listen to children's songs on repeat. They were sentenced to two years probation and fined $200 ordered to complete 40 hours of community service and pay compensation to those victims. Oh, that's not quite as playful, is it? <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, that's torture. That uh, yeah, that's uh, that's not okay. No, uh, that's Coco News, by the way. Uh, one victim said he had to listen to Baby Shark for two hours straight, according to an investigative report. Another said the weird little song was blaring and played over and over and over again. The two were sentenced to two years probation and fined $200 in order to complete 40 hours of community service and pay compensation to the victims. Well, I hope so. My goodness. Um, I'm just checking something quickly here. I want to make sure that I don't do the wrong thing. Oh, is it One second. play Baby Shark on repeat? That okay, ready? Uh, I, I, got the, no. I got the right one. Okay. Yeah. I got I just That's why I had to double check and make sure it was the right one. Could be better. Anyway, I actually that's not bad. That's kind of that's kind of John O style right there. Yeah, 
Drizzy wishes right. he could get on those beats. Yeah, I bet you he does. I bet you he's yeah. sitting there right now in his giant Toronto mansion going, God, I wish I could get on a baby shark beat. Are you okay with grilled cheese? Mm, yeah, I love a grilled cheese. You know, there's the uh oh, there's like I like that the grilled cheese can be done a million different ways. Like it's it can be done like the two pieces of bread with a craft single in between, like you know, bare mm-hmm. minimum effort, or you can spice it up, put some mayonnaise instead of butter when you uh on the that's, That's the weird. secret to amazing grilled cheese is put mayonnaise nope. on the on the toast. No, it's yep. not. No, yep, the secret is. is actually Velveeta. Velveeta. Yeah, but you can see that's like the super processed. Like I've never even had Velveeta, so I can't vouch yeah, for see, it. Yeah, you don't know. Um, that's my dad used to do the thick slice of Velveeta. You cut Velveeta not with a knife but with a piece of thread in order to keep it even because otherwise <laughs> like it gets wax? all squishy. No, that's just like a piece of use- thread. Yeah, like, that's like how you cut wax is with a piece of thread. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, so you cut it so it's nice and even, and my dad would make the grilled cheese super thick with Velveeta. That used to be his jam. And when he would yeah, burn it, bad. he'd like to burn it. A little bit of crisp, yeah. A, a little bit of crisp on a grilled cheese is a good thing. But uh, I will still, uh, in Calgary, I'm, I'm not really sure if they had them in Edmonton. There's this restaurant chain called Joey's, and they used to have on their menu something called the lobster grilled cheese sandwich. And it was, and I'm not joking, the best sandwich I'd ever had in my life. It was just that. It was a grilled cheese Joey's with lobster. Or Joey? Jo- Joey. Joey. Okay. Joey's yeah. is a seafood place. Yeah. Which could also have a lobster grilled cheese sandwich. It's Joey is the, yeah. Is the, like, a little bit Earl's, more fancy. Was the Earl's, uh, but, used to be the Earl's group. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, anyway, they got rid of the, they got rid of the grilled cheese, the lobster grilled cheese. It's not there okay. anymore controversy then it sucks um grilled cheese and tomato soup trucker dad is there anything truly better i would say there is one thing that adds to that i'm not one to do this very often you know that i don't like it on hot dogs grilled cheese with ketchup yay or nay yay of course yay absolutely yay that's like it's it's an important ingredient you know on the side you don't put it on the actual sandwich itself when you're making it you know no no it's a dip. dip 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 Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you have tomato soup, you see. Yes, tomato, tomato. I won't. Um, I won't put the ketchup on many things, but it does belong in the grilled cheese. I have to say. Correct. Well, who who doesn't love it, right? But how much would you spend on a grilled cheese? Well, if you're a millennial and you're spending nineteen dollars on avocado toast, I'm guessing you pay a lot. If you're in the market for a high-end grilled cheese, the perfect dinner for you is here. Go to New York, and you have two hundred dollars. To spend on your grilled cheese. A New York eatery announces bringing back a $214 grilled cheese that was dubbed the world's most expensive sandwich by the Guinness World Records. The restaurant called Serendipity 3, because of course it is, will bring back the sandwich for one day only, National Grilled Cheese Day. And the sandwich, which has to be ordered 48 hours in advance, so it's too late, really. It <laughs> Sorry, um, it's too late. <laughs> thank you. Um, features French Pullman champagne bread made with Ooh. Dom Perignon champagne. The bread is covered in grass-fed white truffle butter before being filled with slices of cheese. <laughs> How do you say that? How? Uh, okay. So I, can, I don't know me, if it's a typo or not. It's so. not. It's not. It's not a typo. It is. Um, it's from Italy, so it's not French. So it's uh, 
Caccio Cavallo. Ca- would Cap- it be Caccio? Yeah, Caccio uh, Cavallo Podil. Oh, jeez. Jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Caccio Cavallo <laughs> Podilico Cheese. Uh, yeah, that's yep, that's that. I would like to apologize for all the Italians that we just offended. Um, sorry about that. Sorry. Anyway, uh, if you know how to say that, you need yeah. to phone it in. 877-399-9898. The sandwich is then toasted until golden and the edges are gilded with 23-carat edible gold. That seems extra. Here's the chef describing the flavor, and we will remind you that they are talking about a grilled cheese in case you forget. We get the crispiness of the bread. Um... You taste the Dom Perignon champagne. It's baked into the bread. It has a very unique flavor. You have the creaminess of the white uh, white truffle butter, and then the cheese. The cheese is to die for. Um, you really get the notes of sweetness from the milk that the cheese is made from. The notes of licorice and wild strawberry and anise. Uh, it has all these subtle flavors in there. Um, and then you really get the cool texture of eating the gold. Uh, you know, it has no flavor, but it has this really great texture. Um, superb. I don't think the chef knows how to say the name of the cheese either, because he just kept talking about the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he does that. Nobody does. So. It's like the most complicated cheese. Apparently, I did some reading. This cheese, which we'll be calling cheese there's only twenty five thousand cows in the world that can make this kind of cheese and it like ages in like a cave for like a years it's like some fancy fancy cheese so of course it has to have an unpronounceable name just comes with the territory all right a sandwich is served with a side of south african lobster tomato bisque serendipity three also holds the guinness world records for the most expensive french fries and most expensive milkshake it's a great reason to go Oh, it's a bit much. I don't think I'd like I'd try it if somebody paid for it. But I would like I, I'd rather if you're spending two hundred dollars on a meal, I'd like I'd rather get like a steak or like something massive rather than just a grilled cheese mm-hmm. with gold on it. I don't ever got white gold. I don't want to eat gold. Like <laughs> I can't say anything because I gold schlager used to be a thing. Late 90s. Oh, it's still a thing. Oh, is it? Oh, yep, it's there. It's a thing. Okay. Uh, Let's uh, continue. Are you okay with heists? I love robbery movies. If I I usually don't like heist movies, uh, but if they're good, I like if they're really good, they'll stick in my mind. Like Heat, The Town, you know, those are some great movies, but usually I, I don't really go for the heist movies. I find them like. I don't know, just kind of the same thing over and over again. But so when they spice well, it that's up, that's what a heist is. Different. They steal the thing and then they get away. That's the I know. And then like something goes wrong, and then you know it looks like they didn't steal anything. But then George Clooney opens up a briefcase, and surprise, he still stole the thing that we thought he didn't steal. You know, yeah, works. A woman in Missouri is facing some pretty serious charges after trying to rob a local bank. Bonnie Gooch. It's too perfect. <laughs> It's the best name ever. If your last name is Gooch, like Bonnie's <laughs> yeah, like, a nice name. I like Bonnie because it, it, it actually means so many different things. But but really, Bonnie Gooch? 
Barty Gooch. Hey, what's up, Barty Gooch? <laughs> oh, I love it. You need to say that out loud before you sign the document. Anyway, Barty Gooch uh, has two prior convictions for bank robbery, and her recent arrest suggests that the third time isn't always the charm. She's being held on $25,000 bond. She was charged with one count of stealing or attempting to steal from a financial institution. Gooch allegedly walked up to the counter of the Goppert Financial Bank. <laughs> Boy, we need uh. to talk to the marketing department there, too. Uh, in Pleasant Hill, wearing plastic gloves, black sunglasses, and a face mask, and passed the teller a note saying, I need 13,000 small bills. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. The robbery note added the court documents filed in a, in Cass County. Oh, man. Oh, by the way, Body Gooch is 78. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? It was like an old lady. Obviously, it was... Um... You know, a tense situation, but when the hands of an elderly woman come out of the car and that is who's driving the suspect vehicle, it's a little uh, it's a little shocking. Pleasant Hill Police Chief Thomas Wright says they're planning to look at the circumstances, seeing if Bonnie Betsy Gooch, 78 years old, needs services. However, court documents show that in 2020, a 75 year old Bonnie Betsy Gooch hit this Bank of the West and Lee Summit. Her son called authorities and stated that his mother was off her rocker and left the house angry, saying she was going to rob a bank. Police tell Fox 4 she used a similar strategy to Wednesday's bank robbery. Well, she's, she's very wily. She did have a, an N95 type mask on, sunglasses and plastic gloves. That's wily. It's one of my favorite REOKs this year. I love it. That's from Fox 4, by the way. After she was given the money, the bank robber was seen fleeing the scene. Oh, dear God. I don't think fleeing is the right word. (laughs) Yeah. But here's the thing. She left the scene in a Buick. Yeah, I know. That still had its handicap registration number on display. Uh, according to the Kansas City Star, Gooch was first convicted of bank robbery in 1977 when she held up a California bank. Well, good for the Gooch. Sticking to her craft. <laughs> that was good. It's, it's, it's just, it's so good. I hope this helped start your day the right way with Bona Gooch. Yeah. Well, it's better than Baby Shark anyway. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.